Natalie Vardabasso is currently the assessment lead at a K-12 special education school, and she's the host of EduCrush podcast. In her many roles, she has lived into the belief that learning is driven by our passions, aligned with our strengths, and at the heart of our humanity. I'm so excited as we talk about assessment today, inclusive culture that embraces learning, and social-emotional learning for our students. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. All right. I'm so excited for this interview right now because I have a fantastic educator with me who is, and I don't know if we can break this on this podcast, but I might actually do this, but oh, you're man, okay. actually a part of the Teach Better Podcast Network with your hey. phenomenal podcast, Edu Crush, which we'll talk about. But uh, Natalie, I just want to thank you so much for being on the Aspire Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. And thanks for breaking the big news. <laughs> I hope that's all right. We didn't even talk about that. Oh, before, yeah. But, <laughs> no. um, I'm super I like excited. It. You heard it here, exclusive. You are bringing a lot to the table for the Teach Better team and the podcast network. I'm really excited about the topics that we're going to discuss this evening. But before we do that, will you just share with listeners a little bit about your educational and leadership journey? Educational and leadership. Those are two big journeys. My journey into education, it was a reluctant one. I think many people who go in with the change agent mindset, but I finally stumbled into education in my mid-20s through a chance encounter my dad had in the final years of his career as a school principal. And he was working on British Columbia's new curriculum. And on that group of people leading the work was a university professor who was doing an innovative teacher education program. And it was small. It was based in the middle years. And the whole concept of it was we're not going to learn in a university classroom. We're going to learn in real classrooms with kids and actually get into it right from day one. And we're going to drive all over the Okanagan. You're going to have a different class, a different group of kids every single week. And so I was like, you know what? I'll give it a try. I will give it a week. And if I hate it, I'm out. And within a week, I was like, okay, this is, <laughs> there's something magical here. So that's how I kind of fell into education. Um, and it's interesting because you say leadership as well. I, there's formal leadership. I like to call it capital L leadership and then informal leadership. But the mindset I had going into education was I didn't exactly love my K to 12 schooling experience and I was really eager to leave. So the second I stepped into the classroom, I guess I would say that I was a leader from that point because I was immediately like, well, what can we do differently? Yes. What about the status quo can we challenge so that kids are actually fired up and learning about themselves and wanting to be here? So worked as a middle school and high school English teacher for six years. And at that point moved into instructional design and coaching. So working side by side with colleagues. Um, all of the projects that I worked on definitely started to take on an assessment lens was something I realized I was very passionate about. Cause I was always wondering like, how do we make this better? How do we transform the school experience? And I realized pretty quickly that assessment is that node. It's that thing that if you push on it a little bit, a lot of other things start to fall into place. So over the past couple of years, I've been the assessment lead, very official title that was more or less made up for me <laughs> uh, for the K to 12 uh, special education school called Calgary Academy that I work at here in Calgary. And that's where I'm still at. And then also doing the podcast as a part of my leadership work. Yeah. So the assessment lead, let's let's discuss that role. So mm -hmm. what is it you actually do during the day within that title? Because I know in education, yeah. there are so many different titles. And that is mm -hmm. probably one of the biggest aha moments for me in this podcast is just learning that there's so many positions out there 
uh, especially in leadership. So what is it that you do on your campus and what roles and responsibilities do you have as a assessment lead? Oh my gosh, so many things <laughs> this year specifically, I would argue that I probably have multiple titles collapsed within there. Sure. One of them being a power school specialist. <laughs> I spend a lot of time answering teachers who are freaking out about the changes we've made to power school. Where do I put this assignment? How do I attach an outcome? What does that look like? So I spend a lot of time doing tech support. Um, I spend a lot of time working with teacher teams and facilitating dialogue around what is the learning? What does it look like? How will we know students are successful? What are other ways we might gather evidence, uh, design professional learning? I work pretty closely with the learning team we have at the school. So we're pretty privileged to have a team of instructional designers and coaches, some for literacy, some for numeracy. So we often work side by side and I'll consult with them on project designs that they're doing with teachers and try to nudge on that assessment piece a little bit more. I tend to always ask how might we empower students with the assessment? and push in that direction. Like mm -hmm. how can they self-assess right from day one? Are we really clear with them what the, the goals are of this project? So it's a little bit of everything. And because I'm in one school and it's K to 12, I always tell people it's like a microcosm of a whole district, but it's still only one school. So I'm really lucky in that I get a lot of interesting breadth in my role. So HR is in the same building as us. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll meet with them and we'll have conversations about what teacher assessment could look like. So what's the growth supervision and evaluation practices we could use that hold empowerment again at the center. Yeah, a little bit of everything. All right. So I'm pretty excited about this next topic because I learned something this evening. So in <laughs> Canada, the term is outcomes-based reporting, but in the <laughs> States, it's called standards-based grading. So what is your role in this topic and how have you transformed your assessment on your campus? So I've held the assessment title for two years, but I always tell people I've been doing the work for more like four. And it's one of those beautiful things where it really came through a grassroots movement, mm -hmm. which is not the way assessment and reporting changes usually happen. I've since learned through a lot of people in my network that do similar work. Often it comes down as a mandate from the district. There's a team of people that have to operationalize it. And then they're the poor souls who have to go into a school of hostile teachers once the entire grading system has been flipped into something different. And lucky for us, it started with a small committee there's probably about eight of us at the time. And we started from like square one. I was like, what does good assessment look like? Like I've got some ideas, but I've mostly just been a teacher tinkering here and there. So we started reading and we spent the first year just developing an assessment framework. So we pulled on the concept of balanced assessment, but we went beyond just the balance between formative and summative. And we said, what are the core principles or the core ideas that should drive assessment if it's really being upheld as this tool to drive learning which all the research says it is mm -hmm. and so from that work and tons of iterations tons of dialogue tons of debates for people from across the k-12 context different subject areas we landed on five key principles so we started with it's purposeful so you need to be very very clear on where it is you're going and it needs to be complex enough that there's a formative pathway to get there so you don't want to have so many goals that are so granular that it just seems insurmountable there should be some clear compelling goals in a small enough number that we can really work towards then the next thing we said is it needs to be understandable so we need to understand it ourselves so we might have a learning goal but are we all on the same page about what that means and what that actually looks like and do our students understand what that looks like and are they clear about what the journey could be and are we welcoming their opinions of what evidence might look like and then we get into accurate so once you start on that journey you're going to start to gather evidence and how i view evidence is very different than how you view evidence so we have to make sure we're calibrating our interpretations so that we're being consistent 
and then it's informative. So if you have information, it's only information. And I mean, the old paradigm would say, put it into the grade book, move on and go into your next activity. But if we're really on a journey for those goals, then it becomes, how can we use it to decide what the next steps are and make sure that that journey continues moving along. And most important, we kind of think when we conceptualized a model of it, we almost thought of it as a process, but this other one almost wraps around everything. So it's this idea of empowering. Mm -hmm. So really sound assessment at its core should be empowering for everyone involved because the goals are something worthy of learning and students are partners with teachers on that journey. So they don't feel like it's something being done to them, which is the core paradigm we're trying to disrupt. Cause it's something that for a lot of students, they still feel it's nerve wracking and it makes them feel anxious and scared and judged. So at the core of everything we do, we've got to think about it being a partnership. So the empowerment piece, I'm, I'm curious. So <laughs> what does that look like? within the assessment process for students. But yeah. then also I want to know about the teachers because you talked about the HR process and, you know, as an yeah. administrator myself, I'm just kind of working through that. Of what is empowering your teachers in the assessment process for an totally. administrator also? Well, there's a lot of things that I'm sure, you know, as a leader cross between adults and kids, we tend to put them in binaries and I don't think that's often the case, but a big one is around the concept of goal setting. Yep. And once you have your goals or you have your learning goals clearly stated, there's so much room within there for someone to look at them and say, for whatever reason, I'm feeling really drawn to this. I would like to grow in this way. And I would like you to partner with me to facilitate that growth. So we can do that with students, the beginning of a unit, allow them to really, really narrow in on one thing that they want to dig into. And that can become their self-assessment as a whole process throughout the unit and not just an evaluation on a single task. And then the same thing for teachers. If you're lucky, like in Alberta, we have uh, teacher quality standards and then leadership quality standards that are a list of seven competencies that we are all held accountable to. So we have a framework at least to work from and say, okay, this year I want to work within the competency of fostering effective relationships. And for me, that's going to look like building my professional learning network on Twitter, whatever it may be. And then as a leader, you're in a position to actually remove barriers to make sure that that can happen, to ask questions because feedback is best done through dialogue and questioning and not just telling people what they should do. So whether it's kids, whether it's adults, I think that goal setting and then the dialogue and the questioning is a game changer for empowerment. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right. So you talked about students being scared and anxious through assessments. However, mm-hmm. within the last couple of years, I mean, it's been really tough on students and teachers just in general. Yeah. A lot of trauma has occurred for various reasons. I know you're working on social emotional learning within your campus. I'm curious on how mm-hmm. you all are trying to help the emotional stability of, of your students and your teachers during this tough time. Yeah. It's interesting because a pushback I've had over the past couple of years is we've moved really quickly, especially in the past couple of years with assessment. And on the one hand, someone could look at it and go, why now? Like, why would you put people through a change during a pandemic? This is horrible. They've already got so much on their plates. But even I would say the biggest critics of the work we're doing sat back and went, huh, because it suddenly clicked for everybody that social emotional learning and assessment are really two sides of the same coin. 
So to change our assessment practice to how might we gather evidence of, as opposed to populating a bunch of tasks in a grade book is better for the social emotional experience of students and for teachers. Cause it takes the onus off teachers of you have to have all these tests and we do an essay every single quarter. Cause that's what we do in high school English to, okay, it doesn't say essays in your grade book. And you now have all these different learning goals around crafting a message for an intended audience. So what do your students want to do? How might they do that? Do they want to do a podcast? Maybe some do, maybe some of them want to make a short film and suddenly you're opening it up to all these possibilities, which ultimately is better for everyone's mental health because then we're not feeling controlled (laughs) and we're actually, it's like pedagogy is coming from the inside. So in some ways I feel like it was just everything converging at the perfect moment for the changes we've done to happen and take hold really quickly because they were better for people's social emotional wellness. So all those different things, the podcast, the videos, that type of way Mm -hmm. of assessment, it's not typical in how you create (laughs) in a classroom. And I'm, mm-hmm. maybe I'm trying to tie this in back because you said something about not enjoying your own school environment yeah. growing up. How are you wanting to change what occurs in the classroom and how are you impacting students to be innovative? When I look back on my school experience, I mean, I think I had great teachers. They were really kind people. But when I look all the way back, I had no idea who I was until probably about 25 or 26 when I started that education program with an innovative leader and teacher who realized that the curriculum, the core curriculum that matters the most is really ourselves Mm -hmm. and how we're growing and how we're learning about ourselves as learners and as humans and citizens. And when I think about what I wish I could change in the school system is to make that central, to make the concept of who are the learners for both the teachers and the students. I think sometimes we talk a lot about students forgetting that when we say learner, it should be inclusive of everybody. And if you're really taking an ethos of growth and development that should wrap around the entire school. So we always talk about doing all these great things for kids that are inspiring and give them choice and voice and inclusive. And then often in the same breath, teachers will get told to go sit in a theater and someone talks at them for two hours. And it just, there, there just doesn't seem to be this deeper understanding of when we say everyone's a learner, we truly mean everyone's a learner. And a part of that learning is learning about yourself. So I don't know if that's innovative, like innovative for me always has a little bit of that, like business tech world kind of a connotation to it. I guess that would be like a social innovation of sorts. Yeah. I think innovation, oh, for instance, um, like a makerspace, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people think of a makerspace and you're like coding. That's not typically mm-hmm. what a makerspace is made of, right? You, you're there to create. Yeah. So in my mind, and maybe I'm in the minority, but mm-hmm. I think of innovation of how are you being creative? I think, oh my gosh, creativity. It's interesting with the assessment work because when we teased apart our curriculum in teams to say, what are the learning goals? How can we build those into our reporting system? So it's organized around outcomes, AKA standards, um, as opposed to task. What really became apparent when I said, we can't have too many. So what are the priority ones? Is like this idea of 21st century competencies, if you will, floated Mm -hmm. to the surface. You could clearly see problem solving in math. You could clearly see critical thinking in social studies. You could clearly see communication in English language arts. The one that seems to always be missing though is creativity. Like even if you're really thinking about all the different parts of the curriculum, creativity isn't necessarily clearly stated. And what's interesting is the options teachers, like our electives teachers that teach things like drama and art and Spanish and metalworks and all that. They just 
pushed it into their, they're like, we want creativity and innovation. If it's going to live somewhere, it's going to live with us. And so they've been taking on the onus of really trying to find ways for students to create. But I, if I, in a perfect world, two years from now, once we settle into this new system and people really understand how to gather evidence in new ways, I would love to challenge all of my colleagues to say, okay, where does creativity live? We can't just say it's that one period a day where they get to go do drama. Like we, can we really break down that paradigm? Can we think about how what we are doing in all of our spaces breathed creativity. Because when you think about the so what of learning, for a long time, it was tests, right? You learn about yeah. this so that you will do well on a test. But I feel like in this day and age, and we're, it's called the creator economy, we are living in a time where you learn so that you can create something. But if it's not in the grade book and it's not necessarily reflected in the outcomes, I guess the provocation would be then then how do we ensure that we're evaluating it, managing it, giving feedback on it, discussing it. And I think that's that's what I'm excited to explore more about. So going to be real world problems with creative solutions? Absolutely. Which makes sense for like science is interesting because there is an element in our curriculum, at least, where it talks about science, technology and society. And I could see it in there. Like I could see glimmers of them. Like there's definitely some innovative thinking and problem solving using scientific knowledge to try and make the world better. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those ones that we don't have innately in a lot of us as teachers. I think teachers like the concept of creativity, but we have a lot of misconceptions of what it actually is. So ultimately people shy away from it a little bit. And it's one I think you actually need to take on is like, this is our professional learning goal as a whole school this year. Like what is creativity? What does it mean? What does it look like across the disciplines? How do we define it? How do we gather evidence of it back to all that assessment piece, right? You got to start right from being purposeful. What does it look like? What's the goal? How do we understand it? But I think that's a huge opportunity for education is to really, and it's not new, right? We've all heard the Ken Robinson famous TED (laughs) talk about schools kill creativity. Like we've heard it and we're all like, yeah, and we like shake our fists. And I don't know if we've really got it figured out yet. (laughs) I think we're we're far from it. I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to see high tech high in person once. And I was like, ooh. I could see why it's the Mecca of education. Like they've, they have got it figured out, but they built the school from the ground up around this principle of design and making and creation. So it'd it'd be a tricky one, but I think it's a worthy pursuit for a leader to guide a school through the process of exploring creativity. There's so much more I could dive into, (laughs) but I I know we have some other things we want to talk about too. I'm going to pivot. So you have some amazing projects one being the podcast yeah. but I, we're going to talk yeah. about that in just a little bit but okay. you have another project that you've got which i'm really intrigued to learn more about which is the equity listening sessions so what is that yeah so it really came about so in 2020 when we all first went online we're sitting at home we watched the resurgence of the black lives matter movement we're reflecting we're reading we're th- like i immediately went out bought a bunch of books you know and then september rolled around podcast launched, I decided I want to have an equity theme. Like I really want that to be weaved throughout everything in the podcast. I want to have diverse guests and then got busy. The year went on. We were online. We were offline. We were online and all of that. And by the end of the year, I was like, I've got the podcast and I feel like that's a piece, but I don't feel like I've done enough and I want to do more. And I'm concerned about how even in just my school community, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, the conversation had quieted down a lot. Like there was a yeah. fire at the beginning of 2020. It was like, we need to do better. Like anti-racism, equity, inclusion. What does that look like? We were having speakers. We were all of it. So 2020, September began, 2021, sorry. We had a speaker come in, Ken Williams, who's brilliant, oh, talked yeah. about 
his definition of equity within a school context, you know, when you call them low, you teach them low. It was, it was magical. People were like almost in tears. It was like, yeah, we're going to get in there and we're going to make sure everyone's re- reaching the crown in these high standards. And I feel like the year started and I just could sense it was like, that was cool. But and I was like, okay, if not you, then who? And if not now, then when, you know, all of yeah. that. So I started the process, talked to the people in charge of policy and procedure in my organization said, I want to do an equity procedure. There was a community of practice that had formed at that time of other staff that were interested in the same thing. So we just started on the path of what could this look like and what are people doing in this space? And I'm going to completely acknowledge now, and I'm sure everyone says this in this work, that I am such a learner and unlearner, and I am by no means an expert. So anything I'm going to say coming after this has just been like my own personal learning journey. And I'm sure it's full of holes and things I don't understand and paradigms that I'm not even sure need to be unpacked. But once we started on the path of, okay, what does an equity procedure look like? The first thing I realized is a lot of people created them and put them out there and they looked really nice. And the words were all really nice. They had lots of definitions of what it means to be anti-racist versus non-racist. Very little changed. Like you can put these things on paper, but it's very different than actually engaging with your community and having a courageous conversation and being uncomfortable. And so I started to fall into this idea of, okay, well, what an emergent process look like? So that worked for well, so well for me with assessment years ago that, you know, you get the people together, you build it from the ground up, you engage people in dialogue, you co-create. So as we've got the procedure and the policy happening on one side, me and a colleague who's actually our social emotional learning lead at the school, coolest job ever. She was like, I feel like we could do this together. Like you've got that assessment brain of how do we like figure out what the goal is and we engage people. And then I've got the social emotional understanding. So we came up with this idea of listening sessions. It's not totally our own as we do in education. It's borrowed from a lot of things we read, things we saw. One of the biggest districts here in Calgary had done a similar process over the past couple of years. But then we wanted to do it uniquely for us because we're not a like Calgary Board of Education is massive. It is huge. So they did it in little like volunteer groups that came together to represent the district. But we're like, we're one school. Like, let's engage everybody, every single person from the board to the every teacher to the kitchen staff to the accounting team to the HR. Like everyone's going to be a part of this. So started with that lofty goal. And then we said, okay, well, what do we actually talk about? Because we could just ask like big general questions like, you know, what does equity mean to you? And do you think there's a problem with inequity? And we know that people are at the beginning of their learning journey and we wouldn't get to that depth and transformation we're looking for. Mm -hmm. So then we reflected on things we had read. And one of the biggest learnings I had over the past year and a half is that impact trumps intention, basically, when it comes to this kind of work and it comes to systems of power is that if you have privilege, you're going to be acting in ways all the time, despite having good intentions that are negatively harming others. So we thought back to Ken Williams and how he always talked about when you call them low, you teach them low. And we said, okay, first listening sessions, a language audit, which is probably a little harsh language. And maybe we have to work on that, but the concept goes like this. We haven't actually done it yet. So I'm telling you kind of the plans we have now and who knows once we get into it, things might change rapidly as they often do. But the idea is to get teams with no hierarchical positions. So a grade leveling, like a grade level teaching team, a group of supervisors, the board, whatever, mm-hmm. and have them first list all the words they can think of that we use internally in our organization to sort, rank, and label people. So even ones that sometimes people think are good, right? Like mm-hmm. we have leadership that love to use the word rock star. Mm-hmm. They'll go up in front of everyone and be like, oh, this person, they're a rock star. But by doing that, we're labeling them as other to other people. So what are those other people 
not rock stars right. <laughs> fans like how does that work and so without judgment we're going to say okay we've got all these words now now in the next column it says what's the intention like why would someone use that word if we're assuming the absolute best of them we talk about that and then the next column is what might be a negative impact of of this word on people who hear it or maybe who aren't called that or who, or who are called that explore that and then what could be a different word that we might use instead that better gets it the intention but minimizes the impact and then the plan is we'll see if this works once we have listened to everybody throughout the school compile that into a what we heard document share it back to the community and teach them a practice known as call in so often when we're offended especially in this kind of work often we call people out right? like oh you can't say that you're racist and then you've now literally lost someone who needs to be welcomed into that journey and learning but the problem is if you don't know what to tell people to say in turn of that word that they're using, which they're using with good intention, then it's just confusing for everybody. So the hope is you've got new words. If someone uses this word, remember they probably have a good intention, but call them into the other word that we collectively agreed is something that we are gonna say. So that's the start of it. We have a whole next step that's like very involved, <laughs> but these are the kinds of things that I dream up in my head. It'll be interesting once we've uh, dug in in reality and see how it actually goes, but I think it could go well. Now or got, really poorly, and we'll learn. <laughs> but. You, you got me thinking. I'm like, man, I've called plenty of folks rock stars, so <laughs> <laughs> I got to do my own inventory and assessment. I know, and that's and that's the tricky part with this work is when we when we first revealed it to some of the leaders, and we they're like, give us an example of some of these words. So I listed like five of them, and you could just see they're all like, oh no. <laughs> I'm like, okay, no, and that's this is why we didn't want to give examples because then people are going to feel judged. Sure. Like it has to truly come from us and. And then it's just out in the culture, right? Because yeah. you really never know. And especially when it comes to leadership, there is always a bubble of deference. Even if we're the most kind, open, vulnerable person, there's, there is a hierarchy. Yeah. There is. And people are always going to defer to the safe and silent response, even if they're feeling offended by maybe something someone senior to them said. Mm -hmm. And so you have to find a way to cut through that so that you can actually hear everybody across the different uh, layers, if you will, of the hierarchy, because we are still living in one. And yes, there's probably different models and better ways to approach it. But for now, we've got to take effort to try and listen better to everybody to include them more and make them have a sense of belonging. Very, very true. Yeah. So edgy crush. Let's dig yeah. into it. Crush. I'm a super fan over here. I want to know <laughs> about how the project started and kind of what your goal was with creating edgy crush. Oh, man. Well, interestingly enough, the project started in January 2020. So before COVID had happened, and my plan was to launch it in March of 2020. We all know how that went. <laughs> and I was thrown full time into the classroom, basically, to support yeah. teachers with online learning and design and all of that. So I was like, I just need to like park this project. But when I did launch it, there was really a personal reason and a professional reason. So the professional one to start there was in my role doing some instructional design and coaching. They were talking a lot at the time about us building a network, more of a network internally to share the great work that's happening and more of a network in externally to, cause we're just one school. So how do we, you know, connect with external experts and learn from others. And so I thought, sat with that for a while. I was like, well, I'm not from Calgary. I'm not from Alberta. I don't know a ton of people. And so I was like, how could I connect with people that are really inspiring and doing great work in a way that's not just like awkward and weird, like, hey, I want to talk to you and get to know your work. And I was like, ah, a podcast. 
that's an easy way to make an overture to someone that's doing inspiring work and say, I want to interview you. You learn about them, you capture the content. It's a win-win for both of you. So that was the professional reason and why I pitched to the school and actually became a part of my job. And then on the personal side, I am someone from day one that wanted to go into education to innovate and to change it and to think about how do we constantly evolve and empower each other and students. And I've met some incredible colleagues that are doing that work as well, but the hurdles are very real for anyone yeah. who's trying to do that. And the paradigms are very ingrained. The inertia is very real. And at times it can feel <laughs> impossible. And I wanted to find the people who were also doing this work and network with them to learn from them, but also in, for like a human level of, you get it. I get it. You get it. We're connecting on this human level of those who are trying to change education. So that was more of a personal reason. And so that's how it came to be. So Natalie, I'm going to segue because we talked a little bit before I pushed record about unconference. And I was intrigued by this mm -hmm. term. So I would love <laughs> for you to elaborate on what this means. And then also you said earlier, but we didn't talk about this is how does it connect to the podcast? Yeah. So the first tagline of the podcast was to reimagine education with passion and purpose. And I've since expanded that a little bit more to talk about, you know, celebrating the brave humans back to my personal reason who are reimagining education through a liberating praxis, a little bit more of the how you actually do that. And because it is a school, project. The benefit of that is I can pitch growth opportunities and get support to make them a reality. So the unconference came about because I was thinking, maybe I'm naive, but I do think that we're very, very close to the end of this thing. I hope it's months and we're going to take the masks off. I know, don't, don't laugh. <laughs> we're going to be able to take the masks off and we're going to come back in person. And it's going to just be this wild roaring twenties energy of like, oh, we are socially connected once again. And I was like, I want to capitalize on that moment before everyone falls back into the status quo and gets comfortable to right. say, okay, let's get a group of people in a room similar to the type of guests we have on the podcast that are advancing change. They're innovators, they're disruptors, they're creative. Let's get them in a space and find a way to launch connections and, and to launch innovative ideas into reality. So I started researching and like, there's already a ton of pod or conferences out there that are doing really cool things. How can we do this differently? So I stumbled upon the idea of an unconference, which comes from the tech industry. And the takeaway is basically you're disrupting the paradigm of a stage on the stage. You sit and get, and instead the people show up and they co-create and they have dialogue and they are the ones who suggest the topics. So this isn't new to education. It's like Ed Camp is the well-known brand that is doing this very well. But I was like, okay, well, how do we do it differently than EdCamp? Like, how could this be unique? And what EdCamp does is very much for teachers who are teaching, who want to come together and share strategies or techniques that they're using within their classroom that they can borrow from one another. I was like, what if we found a theme that cuts across industries that everybody would want to try to figure out so we could break down the silo between education and society and get these people into the room? Because something I realized through the podcast, which realize a lot of things when you talk to a lot of people as I'm yeah. sure you know is we're all trying to solve the exact same problems we just talk about them with our jargon and our slightly different lenses but I've had lots of guests on the show who aren't educators but I consider them to be an edgy crush because they're advancing their learning advancing others learning they're creative they're innovative and I was like I just want all those people together to realize like oh this is all the same problems 
and we're all trying to get to the same place. And we actually all have the piece of the puzzle that when put together could truly reimagine education because I think for too long, we've lived in this industrialized factory model across society, not just education, where everything is like, you have this function and then you have yeah. this industry and you have this, but all of the problems we have today are interwoven and complex. Like climate change is not something that can be solved by each industry doing its own piece. It has to be almost like project-based learning, right? On a global stage, like yeah. people working in an integrated way. So I want to create a, an experience that is a visceral moment for those who attend and like that personal, we're actually in the same space. And I've already got lots of surprises in mind to do that, but also like an incredible opportunity for cross-pollination and innovation. That's awesome. I'm excited about that project. I'm yeah. curious. How You're going to get an invite. Oh, awesome. Let's do it. <laughs> Come up to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I lived in Minnesota and my listeners know this for, I grew up there uh, I, and I never went to Canada. I was so close to <laughs> what? Okay. Well, you have to come for the unconference. It's official now. Well, I got to talk more about, you know, what Canada is talking about, which is outcomes-based reporting. So I got to get up there to learn more about that. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Not to be confused with standards-based grading. <laughs> Just joking. They're the same thing. <laughs> all right. So I'd like to end with this question with for all of my guests, you know, for our aspiring and current leaders, what is something that they can do tomorrow, next week, that can help their leadership journey? Well, if we're going to pull it back to outcomes-based reporting, I would say whether you're looking at your team or you're looking at your a project you're working on, or you're looking at maybe you work in a specific subject area, you might be like a department type of a leader who's working in math or science or English, start whatever it is that you want to achieve by getting very, very, very clear on purpose. And like I've talked about before, that's like stating the learning goals. And when you think you're specific, push yourself to be more specific. And then once you think you've arrived, push yourself once more. Someone, uh, as I was starting this, actually the Unconference Project, a strategy I learned is the seven whys. Hmm. So state your why, but then ask like a, like a little annoying kid who's like, no, but why that? But why that? But why are you doing that? Tell me more about that. And you want to mind down until you get to that place where you're like, ooh, that's it. Like that aligns with something deep in my soul. And when other people hear it, it's compelling to them. They're like, ooh, I want to learn more about that. I want to be a part of that. I need you to tell me about that. So it works in the classroom when we're crafting learning goals for our course. It works at the school level when we're crafting learning goals for the curriculum. And then same for leadership. If there is a project you have, what is the goal? <laughs> what is the outcome, basically? And be very, very, very specific and push yourself to that specificity because the more specific we are, the more it calls people in. Great mm -hmm. advice. So Natalie, for our listeners who are looking to connect with you on social media, how might they do that? Well, I am on Twitter a lot. So you can <laughs> uh, follow me there. It's at Natabasso. And I'm on Instagram, but not very much, but also at Natabasso. So it's really easy. And on TikTok at Natabasso, but I don't post a lot there. TikTok's hard. There's too much, too little time, too much social media. It's true. I wish I was better at it. <laughs> it does, I, I will agree. I've dabbled in TikTok, but... <laughs> I made no a means. video today and it's embarrassing because it's not even that good. Like, it's just like a, a dub. Like I'm saying a voice from an audio track and I've got some words on the screen. 
no word of a lie. It took me an hour. Yeah. And it's like, it's average at best. So I was messaging one of my friends about it. And she's like, man, the amount of people who don't understand that social media strategy is like a full-time career and job. Yes. I'm like, yep, I learned that today the hard way. It's very true. You could easily hard. spend all day. Mm-hmm. Natalie, it's been amazing to talk with you. I love what you're doing in your campus and with your podcast. And I'm just so honored mm-hmm. that you are now a part of the Teach Better Podcast Network. And we get to amplify all of the amazing things that you're doing. Thank you so much for being on the Aspire podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I'm also so excited to be part of the Teach Better team. It's, it's going to be a great opportunity to learn from each other.